So, how is that resurrection treating you? This has been another strange week. And it's hard to believe that just seven days ago, we were celebrating Easter. The empty tomb, the ringing of bells, and the first alleluias in 40 days. I've had difficulty this week holding that Easter joy that we felt last week amidst the headlines that keep putting me back in the tomb. This last week, deaths in the United States topped 4,600 in a single 24-hour period. 22 million people on unemployment. I felt anxiety, serious anxiety, over states that might be reopening their economies, their businesses a little bit too soon. At times, this week has felt less like the Easter tide and more like the apocalypse. And I've heard that word thrown around a few times in the past few weeks, apocalypse. I think our culture has a weird obsession with the apocalypse and end of the, end of the world scenarios. And we only need to look at the popularity of shows like The Walking Dead or Zombieland or Mad Max to see that humans are fascinated by this idea of apocalypse. But I learned this weekend after listening to a podcast from Krista Tippett on being that the word apocalypse has often been misinterpreted over the years. While we have been trained by our culture to look at the apocalypse as something like a catastrophe or a disaster that is very negative, the word apocalypse and the history of it is far less sinister. The translation of the Greek word apocalypsis literally means the uncovering or the unveiling of something that has been hidden or remains unseen. And in that sense, I agree. These past few weeks have been truly apocalyptic. They have uncovered and revealed so much about ourselves and our society. They have uncovered and revealed kindness and generosity. They've uncovered xenophobia and hoarding. It has laid bare our frailty, our human frailty with our bodies. And it's revealed the ways in which we truly need one another. Now, I'm going to do something that they do not preach and they not teach in homiletics course. Uh, I want you to write in on the comments. Everyone watching today from Facebook, I want you to write in. I'm serious. I'm giving you permission to use your phone and your computer during church. And I want you to answer a question for me. What has this pandemic revealed in your life? What has this pandemic uncovered? It can be good or bad. It can be painful. I'm asking you to be vulnerable. And I'm going to read some of these out loud. So please, right now, please put some, put some notes in the comments because I want to read them. Mary Reese writes, the too frenetic usual pace of life. Sherry Fulton, the illusion of control. 
Nat Lewis says, this pandemic has revealed just how much I love my students. Cal writes, this pandemic has revealed a deepest desire for a simpler life. Deirdre writes, I'm stronger than I thought. Janet, me too. This pandemic has revealed how much I need hugs to survive, how much we need people. Caroline, how hard it is to say goodbye. It is interesting what is uncovered about ourselves and the people we love in a crisis. It's interesting what trauma and grief can bring to the forefront. In today's gospel lesson, we find the disciples in a familiar place, a locked room. They are isolated. Also, I imagine the disciples are unable to worship in the temple for fear of their lives. Does that sound familiar? And at the heart of this story, we find one particular disciple who is having an apocalyptic moment of his own. Thomas, the twin. He's having an uncovering. The Thomas we see in today's gospel is a character who is wrestling with what has been uncovered in his own crisis. We know from reading the passage that Thomas is absent in the the upper room on that first night that Jesus appears. We know that he wasn't there. Where was he? Why wasn't he with his friends? We also know that Thomas is extremely doubtful. He refuses to believe the resurrection without seeing the wounds, without touching the marks in in Jesus' hands and side. This is a Thomas who is despondent and cynical and absent. But it's important to remember that Thomas wasn't always this way. If we look back at the 11th chapter of John, we see a very different Thomas. In chapter 11, Jesus tells his disciples that he must return to Judea to be with his friends Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who is dying. Nearly all of the disciples try to persuade Jesus not to go. Jesus, if you go back there, they will kill you. Nearly all of them try to persuade Jesus not to go, except for Thomas. Instead of fear in chapter 11, in chapter 11 Thomas is all in with this Jesus movement. Thomas says, let us go also so that we may die with him. And I can imagine the disciples at at that moment looking at Thomas and saying, Thomas, chill. We are not ready for this. But that is a Thomas that we knew before the crucifixion, before this apocalyptic moment. It's interesting what is uncovered about ourselves and the people we love in a crisis. It has been 50 days since we last shared the Eucharist together with bread and wine in this space. 50 days. That last day was March 1st of 2020, and it was the first Sunday of Lent. One thing that this crisis has truly uncovered for me is how important sharing that meal with all of you, how truly important that is to me. 
And we as a church have made adjustments to try and overcome this absence of the Eucharist. Just last week, All Souls parishioner and my liturgics professor, Dr. Ruth Myers, shared how the absence of Eucharist is not something completely new to the church. She reminded us that in the medieval period, the practice of of what is called ocular communion was the most common experience offered of the Mass. People crammed into sanctuaries. They jostled for the best position to see the priest elevate the bread and the wine and say the words of institution. And by looking at the elements as they were consecrated into the body and blood of Christ, they received the sacrament. And this isn't the only case that we have where we can receive the sacrament, where we can overcome barriers when we yearn yearn for the Eucharist. Christian tradition invites us to spiritual communion. And Dr. Myers again points us to the 1979 Book of Common Prayer and its ministration to the sick that allows the priest to assure a person who is unable to eat or drink the elements that, that they can receive the sacraments even though they cannot eat them with, physically with their mouths. Yet even with these options of ocular or spiritual communion, I still lament, I still hold wounds, I grieve for the meals that I can no longer share with you. For me, the Eucharist shared over the internet just isn't the same as Eucharist shared in person. Just as a meal shared with loved ones over Zoom or Skype isn't the same as a meal shared over a common table with plates prepared by human hands, with hospitality bestowed, with flavors shared. And even though this is all we have right now, and it won't last forever. This pandemic has uncovered a wound in my heart for lost meals and celebrations. And this is where the gospel has so much to offer us. With regards to our wounds, the ones which this pandemic has uncovered or even exacerbated, Jesus shows us that our wounds are nothing to be ashamed of or even to hide. When Jesus appears to the disciples in the locked room, he is not a dazzling white and perfectly healed, but instead appears with wounds uncovered and visible for the disciples to see. He even encourages us to touch those wounds, to place our hands inside of them. By doing this, Jesus declares that our wounds, what we are feeling in these times of crisis, are holy and sacred things. That what has been uncovered, all the comments that you shared, all the feelings of pain and grief that we are sharing right now, are to be acknowledged and honored, not hidden away. Perhaps even by exposing our wounds as Christ did, by letting others touch them, We give new life, new hearts to those who are also wounded. Jesus' appearance in the locked room brings with it the greeting, peace be with you. And I don't think Jesus means just any normal passing peace uh, that just simply means a lack of conflict. But I think Jesus is pointing us to a deeper 
sense of the word peace, to shalom, to a peace that comforts us and calms us, that holds us in times of apocalyptic moments. His miraculous presence tells us that even in the midst of great hurt and loss, even when we find ourselves barricaded in locked rooms, unable to share our common meals and celebrations, there is no place that the body of Christ cannot enter. There is no place that the spirit of Jesus cannot go. So to all of you today, watching from home in locked rooms, recovering from the apocalyptic grief that we are all sharing right now. I tell you that Jesus is risen, he is present, and his peace be with you.